Hello and welcome. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. On this edition of the HFS Podcast as a Service, we head out on location to the St. Regis Hotel in San Francisco, where HFS held Vision 2020 for Intelligent Operations on May 26th and 27th. We're featuring Fred McClymans, Research Vice President for Security. Fred delivered a talk entitled Intelligent Security, Transforming Cyber Risks into Digital Trust, a bit later, Christine Ferrusi Ross, Research Vice President for Strategy and Product Development, joins Fred for a discussion. But let's start now with Fred as he gets going by framing exactly what digital trust means and then walks the audience through research on the state of cyber trust in 2016. So, what is digital trust? When we talk about cybersecurity, we're talking about something that's usually very tangible. I have this device securing this data asset. I have a firewall. I have identity and access management. With digital trust, we're talking more about an outcome. We're talking about a state, a relationship that exists between an enterprise and its employees, a state of trust across the digital network that they have. That's also a state of trust between the enterprise and its partners throughout the extended ecosystem. And probably most importantly, it's a state of trust that exists between the enterprise and the end consumers in the marketplace themselves. And that's really where we get to the, the heart of what digital trust means. And that's an important thing for us because, you know, when I was a kid growing up, I learned to trust somebody by shaking their hand and looking them in the eye. We had a conversation and I made a judgment call. Do I trust this person or do I not trust this person? Today, we don't have that. And it's a bit of a challenge for a lot of people who are making that shift from the legacy into the digital, from the analog to the digital. Uh, and I'm always amazed, we were talking about millennials earlier, just the differences. My 20-something uh, my, my daughter engages differently online and behaves differently than my 13-year-old or my 7-year-old. Just the gaps that are occurring there are phenomenal. The way they build trusted relationships, the way they communicate, the things, I can't tell you, the things that they share online, it, it, it's, it's, it's amazing. But for them, it's normal. Um, but for the rest of us, we're having to adapt to that. We're having to learn how do we build a trusted relationship when we're not looking somebody in the eye. So that is a, a significant issue here, and it's one that really gets to the core of the entire organization. So we talk a lot about holistic security, uh, but what do we really mean when we talk about holistic security? Well, it starts at the very core of the enterprise. I mean, right at the, at the very beginning, it, it is the enterprise brand that we're talking about, and it works its way outward all the way out to the eventual touch point the point at which a consumer engages with the brand, or again, a partner engaging with the brand, or even employees engaging. And in fact, one of the things that's important to note here is that th this basic model, and a lot of concentric rings in here, that includes employee-to-employee -employee communications. That includes, we were talking about HR earlier, communications between the corporate organization and individual employees, the marketing organization, the product development team, the legal team, the contracts team. All these issues need to be addressed. Now, with holistic security, what we're talking about is a shift that says no longer are we thinking of cybersecurity as a firewall that locks up an asset, and instead we're thinking about how can we embed security throughout our ecosystem? How can we start to think about security and conceptualize what it means to our products as we're first sitting down contemplating the design thinking phase? When we build an application, 
it's not just about providing security or encryption on that mobile device. I mean, it's, I got too much encryption on this device sometimes. It drives me nuts. It's not just testing the applications to make, they work, to make sure they work. It's testing the applications to make sure that we meet all the requirements for a good customer experience, a good user interface, good digital experience. And at the same time, we've tested the apps and the code to make sure that it's not exposing us to vulnerabilities along the way. So it, it's ground up and it's all the way through the process here. So one of the important concepts uh, about cybersecurity or security in general today in digital trust is that it's a transformational role in most organizations. Now, when we think of an organization, we've got some nice traditionally siloed groups. Uh, we've got uh, the products and services team, you've got marketing, uh, you've got sales, you've got customer support. They tend to operate within their own sphere. Underneath that, we have the transformational roles. So, of course, you've got your enterprise technologists, those are your CIOs, uh, the people who are providing all the core digital guts uh, out there. You've got your corporate leaders, the CEOs of the organization, and the board, and investors, and so forth. But within that, you've also got these three transformational roles that we look at. One is customer experience. That is a transformational role. You will never get to a state of perfect customer experience. It's evolving. Digital trust, again, always evolving. And of course, the whole digital transformation process, I haven't found anybody yet who can tell me when digital transformation stops. I mean, it's, it's an ongoing role within an organization. So getting into the research side a bit here, we went out and we talked to uh, 208 global security professionals uh, around the world, hence global. We talked uh, to people in a number of different industries, number of different locations, number of different job levels within the organization. Coming out of this, there were five gaps that really stood out to us, and some of the data here we'll talk to, to each of these. The first is the staffing and talent gap. There is a significant gap between the level of talent that's required in an organization to implement digital trust or to get to a state of digital trust versus what's actually available within the organization. The parity gaps that we saw within an organization were really significant. When we looked at multinationals, the differences in cyber preparedness or in digital trust just between different business units was apparent. When you go around the world and you look at an organization that has offices in five different countries, different levels of security existed there as well. So another significant gap uh, and a challenge for most enterprises today. The threat and response gap pretty much takes a look at the ability to actually find and counter a threat within an organization. And what we saw consistently was that we really didn't have a lot of confidence that the data suggested that you could actually detect in real time and counter in real time completely within an organization. And there are a number of technology issues that come up in that area as well. Budget and funding, that was another big gap that we saw in our research data. Uh, quite literally, it was difficult. In fact, I think there's a slide here that talks about it. 4% in total of all the respondents said they had adequate, pretty much unlimited supply of budget money for cybersecurity or digital trust. Everybody else, it's a critical issue. They're short on funds or they're being asked to use less money uh, moving forward. And then, of course, the management and operations gap. And there's a slide that we'll get to at the end here that pretty much highlights just how far apart cybersecurity professionals and digital trust professionals are from the executive management of their organization. So to kind of kick this off here, I had to play music. It's a requirement. Uh, 
So uh, question for the audience, uh, A, B, or C. Do you trust your employees with your digital assets, including corporate or customer information? So be honest. There's uh, nothing that comes out of the survey that we can trace back to an individual unless you're sitting at one of these two tables here. So give it your best shot. Do we have music? There we go. Now it's official. This is good. We've got 30 seconds on this. get into this. Okay, so let's see. Survey says here, uh, if I read that right, uh, 16% completely trust their employees. They are a gift and they are above reproach. I can't uh, see what the second one is. 60, oh, 56% mostly, except for that one time. And 28%, not much. We monitor them like big brother. Okay, that's an interesting stat there because when we look at the actual data, and how do I advance beyond this one? There we go. One of our survey questions talked about trusted employees. Who are the most trusted employees? Turns out that North America has the most trusted. Unfortunately, for the Asia-Pac region, they have the least trusted. And this is based entirely on companies reporting that they had an insider in their organization who stole or corrupted or in some way did something they really shouldn't have done with corporate data or consumer data. And what was interesting here is, you know, we thought, well, the numbers must be pretty good for the people at the top. They're not. Even in North America, 59% of all enterprises say, yes, we've been dealt a blow by an insider. That's a pretty big number. And in some of the industries, that gets right up there in the verticals, up into the 80-plus percent within some of these organizations. So that is a challenge. So we also, we want to step back and take a, a broader look and say, well, what are your business goals? What are your initiatives that you have in the organization? What's driving you forward? Not from a security perspective, but just to understand what's really important to you. It turns out that cloud computing, uh, a culture of cybersecurity awareness, really important for the cyber team, cloud storage and mobile, those are the top initiatives facing these organizations today. They deem these to be either very important or critically important the ability of their organization to move into the digital age. So when we talk about becoming digital, we wanted to kind of get a sense for what technologies are going to be most beneficial in enabling those prior challenges. And it turns out that firewalls, all the way down at the bottom here, uh, are still by far and away the number one security tool that organizations rely on. So we thought it would be interesting to kind of look at the deltas. Where's the growth in that area? And it turns out that if you invert the whole chart, you see that cognitive computing and AI is expected to have the largest increase in importance over the next 12 to 18 months. Second beyond that, data anonymization. Also very important, especially in healthcare and finance and in some other areas. Behavioral tracking, automation, identity and access management. Identity and access management, there we have skills and talent within an organization to deal with that. But the first three, those are new. That's a skills gap right there. We're saying these are going to become very important to us and we're going to invest time and money, but there aren't many people in the enterprise level that really have that skill group uh, in place. So we then ask the question, where does security matter the most? 
When you think about digital trust in your organization, what does it enable? And you know, kind of at the same time, if you lose digital trust, what does it hurt the most? Customer support and service, number one, easily. Brand reputation, another big one, straight off the top. Digital transformation agendas, that's a really one there. People are spending a lot of money on that digital transformation process. In marketing, business expansion, we start to taper off there a bit. But you get the feeling here that security is really core to the brand. It's really core to the customer support, to the touch points that we have in an organization today. And when that breaks, we have some pretty bad things that can happen. So, oh yeah, here we go. Extra animation on the slide. I forgot about this one. Uh, and this is pretty straightforward. Okay, now the big one. Who's happy or sad in Cyberville? So we asked some very basic questions about budgeting. Do you have enough money to achieve the state of cyber preparedness that you re mentioned uh, you know, previously? In order to meet your initiatives, in order to keep yourself trusted, in order to keep your brand positive and moving forward. And again, 4% of the respondents said, yes, we have an unlimited budget. That was kind of interesting. 26%, uh, we've got enough pretty much fully funded for that. So even between that, right now you're looking at 30% that say, yes, we're in good shape. But you've got 70%, they're not happy guys. Out of that, 12% are actually losing budget next year for their cyber initiatives. Lack of technology and services budget, 16%. And then 42% lacking talent and training budget. That's the critical run right there. Because if we go back and we look at the technologies and the areas where they're starting to think this is going to become very critical for us, those are new skills. That's new talent. That's new training. That's new service provider relationships. It's new contracts. It's new KPIs. It's a whole new set of governance issues, areas that we definitely need to address. Now, one thing that I will say about this, and this was sort of a secondary question that we asked here, we looked at the reporting structures for cybersecurity and digital trust professionals. We wanted to know, who are you reporting to today? And who do you think you should be reporting to moving forward? Now, I don't have the slide for that one, <clears throat> so I'll cut to the, the real meat of the issue here. It turns out that those cybersecurity professionals that report to the CEO don't like reporting to the CEO. And this is a tough one because that's really something that we see as a sort of a state of maturity for an organization. If your cyber organization has direct access to the C-suite, that's generally good. But in this case, they didn't like that. But they're not alone. It turns out that around 80% of all cybersecurity professionals believe they should be reporting to somebody else. And it's consistent across the board. They point the finger in every direction. So we look at that, we look at the budget crisis, we look at how important cybersecurity is to some of their core initiatives in the enterprise, and they think the, the grass is greener somewhere else, anywhere else in an organization. That to us, that says there's a fundamental problem that we have to address uh, when it comes to digital trust in a number of different ways. So, Christine, would you like to join me up on stage here? I would just love to, and um, I'm going to give everybody in the audience a chance first because Fred knows I have a ton of questions, but obviously mine are less important than yours. So, anybody want to go first? No? 
So, um, good, good question. Um, about 20, 25% report to the CEO, and then it kind of tapers off there. Um, the smallest role that we saw was uh, chief information security officers reporting up through a chief trust or chief risk officer. And that's, you know, we expect to see a lot more of that, but the dissatisfaction was 100% uh, in that particular group. And I think that's a little bit because the role of the chief trust or risk officer really hasn't solidified yet. And what we're talking about here with a, a chief trust or risk officer, it's sort of a melding of cybersecurity and risk management at that top level, recognizing that cybersecurity, digital security, digital trust, they are so core to our organization that we need to manage that in tandem against risk. Right. Uh, there was no top answer. It was, it, yes, the dissatisfaction was universal. Yeah. Yeah. You know, related to that, so um, I come out of a supplier risk uh, management background myself, mm -hmm. and I know we've talked about this, but you, when you're talking about cybersecurity and digital trust kind of rolling up through risk and being part of risk management, and we know that a lot of times breaches happen because of employees, right? And I think that, that you were showing that data. So, so how does somebody who's trying to do this transformation that you're talking about try to kind of show that whole story without making it seem undoable, right? Like, because that's what people tell me all the time. Like security is just, it's like this never ending ball of string right, that you're pulling. Right. So, you know, one of the things that, um, that we've seen even before the, uh, the research study here, but the data really backed up our, our assumption in this, in this area, and that is that cybersecurity, digital trust, it, it is as much a cultural leadership issue as it is a technology issue or a departmental issue. There really has to be a solid grounding from the C-suite all the way on down that says we are going to embed this holistic trust enablers throughout our entire organization. Um, it also means that um, there are some ideas or some channels, and, you know, as evidenced by the, um, the fact that nobody knows where they want to report. There is no baked model for this yet. This is still very early. Um, the idea of there being a best practice for reporting structure or even a, a best practice for technology, that's pretty much gone right now. In fact, uh, you know, one of the things that we're really starting to focus in on is the realization that state of the art no longer exists, especially in the area of digital trust or cybersecurity. Whatever technology you have, your threat out there has that same technology. Whatever business practice you have, somebody else has a way to, to move into that. So it really becomes an issue of state of the art being a mindset, being a, a leadership, uh, you know, sort of a, a culture in the organization. Okay. So you also talked about five gaps. And yes. So somebody, you know, we both come out of like services background. So the first logical thought I had was, well, if you've got a talent gap, you hire a provider mm -hmm. to fill the gap. But in this space, I would suspect that the providers also have this talent gap. Yes. So, yeah. so how do people manage to, you know, mm -hmm. this talent gap when in fact maybe there isn't, there just physically isn't enough resource for everybody? So one of the areas where we see um, uh, tools such as automation, uh, RPA, um, even a, a pretty decent level of analytics now, behavioral analytics being applied, is in cybersecurity and digital trust. Uh, in fact, if you look at, you mentioned this, the skills gap, service providers in general can't hire enough people at level one. 
in their organization. And in fact, what we see happening is a lot of service providers saying, we're going to take all our level one cybersecurity functions, we're going to automate as much of that as possible. In fact, they don't even want level one, they want level two staff. That's the new entry level point for cybersecurity. It's moving that fast. But that's a huge challenge because there's no educational process, there's no degree you can get, there's no nothing right now that really is going to prepare an entry level person, let alone take that person from a level one entry point to a level two. So automation is going to be key, but then also there's a lot that can be done on the part of how you approach security and how you approach trust. There's a lot of risky behavior that we'll talk about in this report in uh, pretty good detail, that if you can eliminate that risk-oriented behavior, you can make yourself inherently a bit more secure. Okay, one last question that I have for you, because you mentioned automation, so you kind of walked into this one, that's what happens. Straight on. So does automation, you know, RPA, cognitive computing, does that make security and digital trust easier for all of us or harder for all of us? <laughs> so that really comes down to an issue of, uh, of process. And that's where in security, again, look at the numbers, the number of companies that are reporting insider threats. Now, an insider could be someone that has malicious intent. Uh, it could be somebody that's being manipulated through a phishing scheme. I mean, that's an increasingly common one, especially as aggregated data about individuals starts to become pulled together. And we see that now being sold in the, the dark web. Um, but w when you're talking about um, the, the level or the, the implementation of RPA automation, what it does is it removes a human being from some process that could otherwise be corrupted, either through an error or through malicious intent. And that's where, especially in, uh, in finance, uh, in healthcare areas, it, you got to get the employees, I hate to say this, pull the humans out of that process and automate as much of those functions so that you have something that's predictable, reliable, and auditable. That's the big thing. Once you get to that state, and that's where we see automation really coming through uh, through big, then you start to solve some of these, these problems and maybe overcome a bit of the talent gap. Great. Fred, thanks so much for a great session. Christine, have thank Mark you. Come back up. And we're on to the next. Right. I'll be around later go. if anybody wants to dig a little bit deeper. We've been listening to Fred McClymans, Research Vice President for Security, as he delivered his talk at the HFS Buyers Summit in San Francisco a couple of weeks ago. He was joined by Christine Ferrusi-Ross, Research Vice President for Strategy and Product Development. I'm Mark Reed Edwards of HFS. We hope you've enjoyed the HFS Podcast as a Service. Visit hfsevents.com to learn more about the HFS Buyers Summits and hfsresearch.com to read our research.